0: hello and welcome to another episode of virtual legality I'm your host Richard Hogue managing member of the hogue law business law firm of Northville Michigan here today with another episode on Xbox Times Activision or more specifically the regulatory speed bumps hurdles and commentary that the largest acquisition in video game history if it closes is has been seeing for the past month, if not more. If you're interested in that story, please do check out our playlist. We already have 38 videos in that playlist on this deal. This will be the 39th, and it was only last week when we started seeing some commentary from what I think we should generally consider lobbyists, and this was confused a little bit by folks that don't interact regularly with places like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which, to be fair, sounds like it might be a government agency. Now, last week, we went over the commentary from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and found that they were primarily talking about the Facebook Giphy deal that the Competition and Markets Authority of the UK had blocked and claiming that the CMA and the UK may not be playing fair with the due process considerations of companies in the united states now we went through that article i talked to you a little bit about how i thought they made a few missteps but this is normal you've got bodies out there that are going to be lobbying for one side or the other of basically every issue in particular with respect to microsoft times activision what we saw most prominently Early on, was that senators and unions, the CWA, were calling for the Federal Trade Commission to what they called review closely the deal, but realistically to consider blocking it if they were so inclined. Instead, now what we are seeing is a response from the business interest, the business side of things, and lobbying firms like the US Chamber of Commerce, or most recently, a lobbying firm by the name of Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Now, a lot of you sent me this particular article, and I want to tell you first and foremost that we're probably not going to cover every single time one of these bodies puts out a note because I expect this to be more and more common as it is now self-evident that the CMA of the UK, potentially the European Commission, potentially the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States, might well decide to try to block this deal or ask for either significant or extreme concessions on the part of Microsoft and Activision. And as that becomes more and more of a possibility, you can expect more and more statements like this one. Now, this is only the second one that we've seen out in the wild, so I'm going to analyze this and I'm going to find it, spoiler alert, quite wanting. As is often the case when you're very familiar with a subject matter and somebody parachutes in to comment on it, they get a lot wrong here. But first and foremost, I want to point out that this isn't some kind of neutral party, right? It says it's the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, and it claims as its own About Us page... As technological innovation transforms economies and societies, policymakers often lack the specialized knowledge to objectively analyze and respond to fast-moving issues and circumstances, particularly when the innovation disrupts incumbents or sparks fears and there is organized pressure to limit progress or change. What should policymakers do to capitalize on new opportunities, overcome challenges, and avoid potential pitfalls? The Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, the ITIF, exists to provide answers and point the way forward it's a very neutral sounding statement right by design they want to say hey we're not interested in one side or the other we're here to provide our policymakers with data points with information about how regulations rules laws or otherwise might otherwise impact the way that we conduct business in america now as you might suspect that's going to have one slant or the other. And we're going to talk about who the supporters are of this institution in just a minute. But let's let their summary proceed. Founded in 2006, ITIF is an independent 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan research and educational institute. Insofar as it's neither Republican nor Democrat, it's advocating a specific set of issues to the policymakers. A think tank, in other words. Its supporters include corporations charitable foundations and individual contributors and it has earned a 2022 platinum seal of transparency with candid itif's mission is to formulate evaluate and promote policy solutions that accelerate innovation and boost productivity to spur growth opportunity and progress we engage in policy debates directly and indirectly by presenting policymakers and influencers with compelling data analysis arguments and proposals to advance effective innovation policies and oppose counterproductive ones. What are those policies? What could they mean? Well, we'll see a little bit more clearly when we actually go over the article that they did on Microsoft and Activision. More specifically, in respect of policymakers and politicians, they say that they advise them through direct interaction in Washington, D.C., so they're federal-focused, first and foremost and other state, national, and regional capitals around the world, as ITIF analysts in recent years have traveled to engage in policymaking forums in more than three dozen cities across five continents. We're just about innovation. It's right there in the title. Now, who are our supporters? Well, this will be a little bit telling. Who actually gives money to this group? Who funds this group? Well, we see amazon.com, and these highlights are just Those specific to media and technology, and not even all of those, but I thought that this list was very useful in understanding what this group is. Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Oracle, Procter & Gamble, Comcast, Disney, Intel... Walmart, I see here, I did not highlight. Those are the kinds of companies here. And yes, they want innovation. I don't think there's any reason to believe that they don't want those things. But most importantly, what a group like this wants to do is wants to kind of tamp down on regulation if they feel like it's hurting the groups that are funding them. Or more specifically, if we're being a little bit more genteel and benign about our interpretation, this is a group of people that already thought these things and they are getting funding from people that are like-minded rather than buying out a think tank. this. Corporation, whether it's Microsoft, Apple, Walmart, or whoever, they decide to fund people that are already aligned with the concerns that they might otherwise have. Concerns such as the potentially over aggressive use of antitrust laws, whether that's in America, the European Union, or the UK. Which leads us to hey, CMA, you're getting it really wrong on Microsoft times Activision. Or what's past is prologue. Always good to quote Shakespeare in your heading. Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard does not raise foreclosure concerns so if you didn't follow along with our seven hour or close to it stream where we went over all of the cma documents all of microsoft's responses and talked a little bit about what i thought about those at the time you might not know that the cma the uk regulator that is behind all of this from their side of the world the jurisdiction of the united kingdom looked at the problem with microsoft and activision and said well we think there might be incentives for you to keep call of duty primarily off of PlayStation, and that if you do keep Call of Duty off of PlayStation, you might have market power and an ability to control monopoly interests in three specific markets. One, consoles, the Xbox versus the PlayStation. That's easily understood by everybody. Two, subscription services. This is Game Pass versus all. And then three, cloud software infrastructure, cloud market for video gaming. And as I said when we went over it, the cloud stuff is the weakest This particular paper doesn't even touch on the cloud stuff. Honestly, it doesn't touch on the subscription stuff either, which is one of its big, big problems. But overall, the CMA says you could potentially have an incentive to keep Call of Duty off the Sony platform. Microsoft says we have no such incentive. And my main criticism of Microsoft's position there was, of course, they do. Of course, they could decide to keep it off that system and try to drive sales up on one of those submarkets. Now, here, the primary argument that's going to be made against that is that they don't have the mathematical reason to do that, only neither does this paper. Instead, it relies on a non-analogous prior property in Minecraft, spoiler alert, and then says, well, obviously, then the CMA should realize they won't foreclose Call of Duty. We'll talk about it when we get there, but this paper is full of holes, and I hope that the contributors to a society like this one are getting what they paid for. What's past is prologue. This line from Shakespeare's The Tempest is an apt metaphor for how we should think about Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Parentheses, we're just going to be calling it Activision. Activision Blizzard is a mouthful in this particular article. Now, what's interesting there is what's passed as prologue. I don't usually think of it as a metaphor. I guess it kind of is. That's what the is word is doing there. But basically, it says, hey, everything that's happened before now is a lead up to what we're dealing with right this second. Now, this article uses it a little bit differently, basically just suggesting that regulators should take into account history, which, hey, they should. Unfortunately, in its phase one review of the acquisition, the United Kingdom's Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, to you and me, was so focused on the future that it ignored what could be learned from the past. Microsoft's past acquisition conduct demonstrates that the CMA's concerns about vertical foreclosure are not well founded. So they're actually gonna go and say what Microsoft has done in the past is determinative of what it will do in the future. Now, there's a couple of problems with that, as the CMA noted, and I'm going to be playing devil's advocate for the CMA quite a bit more than I think the strength of their arguments warrants, but that's the level of issue I find with this particular article. The CMA goes and says, well, the most recent purchase that you made, Microsoft, certainly the one with billions of dollars on the line, was ZeniMax. You bought ZeniMax. You kind of made hand waves about potentially releasing their major releases on multiple platforms, Fallout, Elder Scrolls, Starfield to come out next year. And then he said, nah we're going to keep it on our service we're going to keep it on game pass it's a driver of audience to us and obviously if you aren't acting irrationally microsoft you made a determination in some back room somewhere that you would make more money by keeping it off of sony system than you would by selling it to the sony platform users even though That's clear money. You sell a copy of Starfield on the PlayStation, you get your 70%. Yes, Sony gets its cut, but you get cash dollars in the door. You decided that that wasn't good enough, that you were going to try to push people into your ecosystem by having these exclusives, which is your God-given right, right? Sony has exercised that right for two decades, Sony fans. I understand that. But as we proceed with this analysis, they want to say that it's not ZeniMax that we should be looking at, but instead Minecraft. Uh, We then get a description of the events of the deal. I don't think we need to go over this too much. In January of this year, they offered near $70 billion for Activision shares. That's now pending regulatory review. While Microsoft also develops and publishes video games, the CMA has not raised any horizontal concerns about the merger, presumably because it recognized that video game publishing is highly competitive. And we did see that in the Brazilian analysis of this particular deal. When you start to look at game development or realistically game development and publishing together, Microsoft and Activision are not big enough players to dominate that market. So that's a clear winner for those folks that want to see the deal go through. That's basically what Brazil found, saying that the other sub-markets that the CMA is so concerned about aren't real markets because they are just substitutes for the existing market of essentially distribution of video games. The CMA disagrees, but... This particular paper locks down the CMA in a way that I don't think they themselves do. The CMA's concern largely derives from Microsoft's role as a producer of gaming consoles. Now, that largely is doing some work because I would argue that the gaming console argument is second worst to the cloud software argument and clearly below where the CMA thinks it Finds its most successful argument, which is subscription services. And as I have said now in a number of videos in this series, that always seemed to be the most obvious avenue for a relatively activist regulator to potentially go after this deal is that Game Pass clearly has a strong foothold in the subscription services market. And it's not that hard to imagine a world in which Microsoft buys up enough developers and publishers to make Game Pass the de facto leader in that market. And if that is a separate market, which I argue that it is not, but if it is a separate market, then you can easily imagine that the calculations there would do a huge number for Microsoft and could potentially kill off the Stadia's, the Luna's, the PlayStation Pluses of the world that might otherwise seek to, cloud or no cloud, get you involved in a subscription service. So while I disagree with the CMA's potential market definitions here, it is the logical argument that has the most weight from the UK. This article basically doesn't address it at all. Microsoft's Xbox console competes with the Sony PlayStation and to a lesser extent with the Nintendo Switch. Sony is the market leader with nearly two thirds of console sales worldwide, while Microsoft has announced around a third of worldwide sales. Now, interestingly enough, there, one thing that is to be noted, as we have in other videos, is that these regulators are primarily concerned with the jurisdiction that is under their sovereignty. The FTC is worried about the US, the CMA is worried about the UK, the European Commission is worried about the EU, the Brazilian authority Cade was worried about Brazil, etc, etc, etc. Now you can take into account the worldwide market when you're doing your analysis, but just the worldwide market doesn't determine how you need to feel about regulating your jurisdiction. We saw it was very important to Brazil, for instance, that Call of Duty and Activision just really isn't that popular in Brazil. So when Sony says we need it to be able to compete with Xbox, it doesn't bear much weight In other jurisdictions, particularly the U.S., Sony might find more effectiveness talking about Call of Duty and the need for it to compete, even though, again, I side with Microsoft on this, that obviously consoles like Nintendo can survive without Call of Duty or Activision games. Sony might have a more effective argument in places like the U.K. and the U.S., where there are more sales for Activision titles. Uh, The CMA raised a number of vertical concerns with the merger, one of which is that Microsoft might deny Sony access to Call of Duty post-merger. Now the vertical concerns are really separated by market, as I said, uh, and Call of Duty is kind of the functional way that they might leverage their power in any of those markets, which might be the better way to think about this. A vertical foreclosure strategy, making Call of Duty exclusive, is generally only profitable if the gain in sales made through the vertical firm's own downstream unit are larger than the lost sales from foreclosing the downstream competitor. This is pretty easy to think about. Call of Duty currently sells on Microsoft and PlayStation. It is going to make a certain amount of money for Activision through sales to PlayStation users, right? So, Microsoft, if they make Call of Duty exclusive and all other things remain equal, we don't look at a dynamic market, which is important for this analysis that this article is asking us to do, well then, we can do some simple math. You are no longer making that money from Sony, and so you have to make sure that you make more money here from console sales. Are you going to sell that many more Xboxes than you would have if you had not made it exclusive? And I can tell you the answer to that is no, right? If that is your analysis, they're not going to sell enough Xboxes to make the loss of the money that they would otherwise gain from selling Call of Duty to PlayStation users to make that make sense. Even the CMA doesn't really claim that. They say it's a combination of these various things and the ability to use their market leverage to make more money through that combination, the sale of consoles, the sale of subscription services, primarily Game Pass, which really should be thought of as Xbox's primary product right now, and some weird melange thing of the access to cloud software services. Again, the CMA does not articulate this argument well, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Instead, this particular article says, well, they're not going to sell those Xboxes, now are they? And I agree with that, but that's far from the only consideration here. And again, I kind of resent you making me defend the CMA on this. That is, Microsoft would only deny Sony access to Call of Duty if the increase in Xbox sales outweighed the lost Call of Duty sales. Objection. Facts not in evidence. Xbox has so much other stuff going on that selling Xboxes is not even the primary way that they are engaging with the current generation. So at the very start of this, which is now going to go for paragraphs, you have a kind of wrong-headed assertion, an assumption, and you know what happens when we assume. Certainly, some Sony console customers would purchase an Xbox in order to be able to access Call of Duty. However... Some Sony customers would rather give up Call of Duty than switch to the Xbox. The vertical math depends on a number of factors, including the popularity of Call of Duty, Sony's share of console sales, and how different Microsoft and Sony's consoles are from one another. I'm a little bit curious how that last one actually enters into play so much because... Call of Duty is only going to be accessible on one of the consoles, so what do the inherent hardware differences actually matter? If you're concerned about Microsoft taking a monopoly position in hardware, it's not because of quality, it's because of things like money and exclusivity that doesn't require the Xbox to be even competitive with the PlayStation if it's the only place that you can play Microsoft games, which is what Call of Duty would be after the purchase takes place. We see that writ large with Nintendo, right? I would love to be able to play Mario and Rabbids or Bayonetta 3 on some kind of system that can actually display graphics on a large-scale television. Those are foreclosed to me because Nintendo has capitalized and is making these games. Now, Mario and Rabbids is a bad example of that because it's made by Ubisoft, but with Nintendo licenses, so the effect is the same. I'd love to see that in higher resolution, and I don't get the chance. Same for everything else that Nintendo releases. Even though Nintendo is one of the best software developers on Earth, They don't sell some of the best hardware on earth, and it's all just locked in the little Nintendo Switch prison, which sometimes does, in fact, make me sad. So it's unclear exactly why the consoles and their makeup matter to this analysis, but let's see if they clear themselves up. If Call of Duty sales are high, and Sony's customers represent a large portion of those sales, then the cost of vertical foreclosure will be higher. Yes, right? This is intuitive. When we think about things like purchasing exclusives, which is something Sony has some experience in, as well as Microsoft, a little chastened by that whole rise of the Tomb Raider fiasco, what do we think about? What is the cost of getting that exclusive license? Well, if the developer isn't crazy, they're going to look at their numbers. If it's a franchise and the most recent entry in that franchise, they're going to say, we made this much money on who you would have us not sell to. So we're going to need something like that amount of money which means it's more costly. It's easier to understand this when you're thinking about those exclusives because that's actually money leaving the bank. After it's purchased by them, it's kind of internal financing, but it's the same kind of concept. If Call of Duty is super popular on the Sony PlayStation and Microsoft is looking to potentially make it exclusive to the Xbox or Game Pass or both, then it's going to quote unquote cost them more in opportunity cost to halt that sale on the other system. That is correct and that's why some of these papers are so problematic that is inherently correct but it's being used in too simple of a fashion to actually analyze this situation now they do say if gaming consoles are very similar and there's no real difference between accessing call of duty on an xbox versus on a playstation then the gains to the vertical foreclosure will be greater if they're if they're closer in whatever makes them game consoles, then more people are going to be willing to come over, I guess, if there isn't that qualitative difference. But again, I don't really think that matters, so I don't think it's a useful concept in this particular paper. It is clear from the phase one decision, which is actually just a reference to phase two is more than a decision, that the CMA did not find either Microsoft's or Sony's evidence on the vertical math to be persuasive. Now, remember... Sony's vertical math, to the extent they presented it to the CMA, and Microsoft objects vehemently to the fact that they didn't get to see whatever the CMA was looking at from Sony, was clearly supportive enough of the CMA's position that they decided to adopt it, right? Sony goes and says they have every reason to foreclose Call of Duty from us, and CMA says it looks like they have every reason to foreclose Call of Duty from us. That sounds like they adopted Sony's math a little bit more than Microsoft's. Here, the paper just kind of gives up the ghost. Given the complexity of this analysis, there were likely valid criticisms to be made, right? We don't know exactly what that math said. That isn't shared with us, but it seems likely that neither one of them are perfectly right. Instead, the CMA primarily relies on other evidence, not strict math, to conclude that Microsoft has both the ability, which they clearly do, and incentive to foreclose Sony post-merger. Incentive is going to be an open question. And again, I think Microsoft goes too far by effectively arguing we have no incentive whatsoever. We couldn't possibly have any incentive to foreclose when that's patently self-evidently wrong in the most recent acquisition that they engaged in. You don't have to go that far, Microsoft, to say, hey, Call of Duty is distinguishable from Starfield, Call of Duty is different, and go in that direction rather than, of course we could move people over to Game Pass, but it wouldn't make sense for reasons X, Y, and Z. But the CMA either largely overlooks or draws incorrect conclusions, not just misleading incorrect about the evidence on Microsoft's past acquisition conduct. Now, here is where you might think they would talk about ZeniMax. They do not. Instead, they go back to 2014, where Microsoft acquired Mojang, the studio responsible for developing Minecraft, which is Microsoft's most popular video game title. In 2021, seven years later, Microsoft Minecraft had over 140 million active users, and it is the best-selling and most popular video game of all time. Now, it's in quotes I presume that's from Microsoft. Certainly, there is reason to disagreement on this point. You need to go no further than something like IGN, where the Tetris company says they've actually moved 520 millions of Tetris. Sure, Tetris, very popular. Everybody knows Tetris. Is that more than Minecraft's 238 million? Could reasonable minds differ here? Are we essentially taking the word of Microsoft and the Tetris company? We are. Doesn't really matter that much. We can all agree that Minecraft is a very, very popular game, but may not be the most popular video game of all time, and if you're trying to write a persuasive essay, getting that stuff right is super important. At the time of Microsoft's proposed acquisition, Minecraft only had around a quarter of the active users that it has today, but Minecraft was growing rapidly. To get a sense of Minecraft's growth rate, Figure 1 shows how many years Minecraft and Call of Duty took to achieve certain active user benchmarks. For example, while Call of Duty only had 40 million active users eight years after its launch, Minecraft had the same number of active users no more than five years after launching. Similarly, Call of Duty only had 70 million active users 15 years after launching, whereas Minecraft achieved this number in less than half that time. Even though Minecraft had fewer active users at the time of the acquisition than Call of Duty has today, these were both very popular games at the time of their proposed acquisitions. And I would add, they continue to be. Now, we have a couple of problems with this already, right? So one, it's 2014. What is Microsoft not peddling in 2014? The answer to that is Game Pass and also xCloud and its cloud solution in general. But I don't think that matters as much. We're going to put that aside. They aren't trying to move people into a subscription service. They are trying to make money through the applications like Minecraft that they've otherwise bought and which applications already exist on the competitive ecosystems like PlayStation. Now, you might say, Rick, Call of Duty is also already on PlayStation. And that's where the second problem comes in. And I really do think it's going to continue to be a problem with people dropping in and talking about this particular issue. Minecraft, outside of its little spinoffs, Dungeons and Legends and things, Minecraft is just a single product. You get a copy of Minecraft, you have access to the Minecraft servers, you play Minecraft, and that's Minecraft. Call of Duty is a new game every year. And in order to stay up to date with the meta or to otherwise interact with the multiplayer components of quote-unquote Call of Duty it requires an entrance fee every single year and that changes the equation in terms of sales revenue value and it might actually enhance the argument in this paper to not think of call of duty as a game that released 15 years ago and minecraft as a game that released 10 years ago or whatever the timing is on these particular things instead Call of Duty is different. In order to get to 140 million active users, it has to continue to resell its own product in a way that Minecraft simply doesn't. But that does make more money for the owner of that particular product. And if you have that re-up, if you have that notion of subscribing to a magazine in order to be a subscriber of Call of Duty, the incentives do change. Right? If we are going to say this doesn't match Zenimax because Starfield is a single player RPG that doesn't have a community and that distinguishes it from Call of Duty, which I don't think is a bad argument, we have to distinguish Call of Duty from Minecraft on these very same premises, right? Getting the next Call of Duty is another application that you can sell in or not sell in to a rival platform versus Minecraft mostly just keeping it up, that's not the same thing. So this argument is already running afoul of my critical reading skills Even early on, when it announced its acquisition of Mojang, Microsoft committed to continue to make Minecraft available on all competing devices, including the Sony PlayStation. To date, Microsoft has honored that commitment. That Microsoft does not foreclose Sony is not surprising considering the popularity of Minecraft and Sony's large share of console sales. Microsoft correctly determined that the cost of foreclosure would exceed the benefits. Now, that's a kind of multiversal prognostication, right? We don't know if Microsoft made the right call. Minecraft is certainly popular, seems like a very good call. We don't actually know if foreclosure would have been a better call for Microsoft back in the day. We simply don't. We should not expect the calculus to be any different with respect to Call of Duty, where Microsoft has committed to continue to make Call of Duty available to Sony. Note even there how the language betrays the misunderstanding of what Call of Duty is compared to Minecraft. Yes, Microsoft isn't going to pull Call of Duty Vanguard from Sony, right? They're not going to make it unavailable on the Sony platforms. The question is, what about Modern Warfare 3 or Black Ops 17 or whatever else might come out in the future? Similarly, nobody has any question that Warzone, which is their big free-to-play Battle Royale version of Call of Duty, is also going to be available multi-platform because there's utterly no reason to take that off the platform because you can't even make the price argument that it goes on Game Pass and now it looks more expensive on Sony and all the other good reasons why a foreclosure strategy might not work for the main title. And yet, when you talk about this particular argument, that is all lost in, yes, Call of Duty will continue to be made available to Sony. There's no reason we should expect Minecraft to be treated different than Call of Duty is a crazy statement for anybody that knows the qualities of these two products, the audiences that follow them, and what Microsoft now has as an incentive with moving people to the recurring revenue service that is Game Pass. This article continues, instead of focusing on Microsoft's conduct with respect to Minecraft, the CMA looks to Microsoft's conduct with respect to the acquisition of less valuable game titles, which it should be noted are way more recent than Microsoft's acquisition of Mojang. This is the exact opposite conclusion that we should draw from Microsoft's conduct. And here's another truth paragraph, right? I've complained about this article because it doesn't seem to know differences like Game Pass being a major component of Microsoft's strategy or the differences between Minecraft and Call of Duty. This paragraph right here matches one of my own when we were critiquing the CMA's analysis. When a game title is not very valuable, the cost to making that title exclusive to the Xbox is relatively low. That is, Microsoft does not lose very many customers accessing that title on Sony's console because there are not very many customers to begin with. Something like Starfield, we simply don't know its popularity, although we can imagine that the Bethesda RPG Game Studios game for the first time since Skyrim is going to be pretty popular across the video game realm. That is, Microsoft does not lose those customers. We we already read that. For a popular game franchise like Call of Duty, the cost of making those titles exclusive is much higher, suggesting a weaker incentive to make the content exclusive post-merger. In fact, you'd need a very strong justification to do it. You'd need to be able to say, oh, I don't know. We can absolutely dominate the subscription game service industry, which we think is going to lead the future of that industry for 30 or 40 years. If you have that kind of incentive, maybe you run that up the flagpole. You give it a try. Not only, says this article, should we not expect Microsoft to deny Sony access to Call of Duty post-merger, the acquisition will likely expand access to Call of Duty. So here they adopt Microsoft's arguments, right? If you are in the business of complaining about CMA adopting Sony's arguments, and I think you are right to do so, here is where a lobbying firm funded by Microsoft, in part, adopts Microsoft's argument. Multi-game subscription services are an increasingly popular way to access game titles. Both Microsoft and Sony, as well as others, offer subscription services. In general, popular or newer titles tend not to be accessible through these services. That is a very large generalization, but fine. However, Microsoft currently makes some Minecraft titles available on Xbox Game Pass and plans to add Activision titles post-merger. Adding Activision titles, including Call of Duty, to Game Pass effectively makes Call of Duty available at a lower price and thereby allows more players to access Call of Duty. I don't disagree with any of that analysis. In fact, that's one of the reasons I think the deal should go through Xbox fans. However, if the CMA's adoption of a market for subscription services is honored, if they find that to be correct, if their tribunal accepts that, if their high court accepts that, and it's not impossible that they will, then you have to look at it from the other side of things, which is, yes, Microsoft has now by far the best, most robust, subscription service for video games, and what can they do with that market power? This entire paragraph, this entire argument from Microsoft boomerangs on itself because it's self-evident that they can dominate that market with such a title, even if that gets it to folks at a lower price right now. Well, we all have experience with what streaming services and other low-price alternatives have done even in the last decade, right? Go try to get live television and the content that you could have gotten from Netflix a decade ago now because I'm willing to bet it costs seven times as much. And we are all cognizant of that, and the CMA, if we're going to give them credit, and believe me, folks, I'm mostly playing devil's advocate here, could be looking at that future and saying, that's exactly what's going to happen. Game Pass is going to dominate the field. Everybody else is going to die. And then, hey, that $15 subscription suddenly becomes $55. And who are you to argue with it? Because it's still got the best stuff. It's still a better value proposition than buying games, and yet... They are now dominating and dominating and dominating, and it snowballs, it spirals until they control the entire video game industry. Do I believe that? I do not. I believe buying games is a substitute for subscribing to games, is a substitute for cloud service games. But we actually have to address the argument that the regulator is making if you want to make a persuasive essay. And I say this fails on basically all of its core principles. The CMA has erred in its analysis of Microsoft's incentives to foreclose Sony post-merger. Microsoft's past acquisition conduct demonstrates that Call of Duty is likely to remain available on PlayStation and other devices. That likely just sneaks in there, doesn't it? I mean, it's so definitive. You look at the heading. Microsoft's acquisition raises no foreclosure concerns. No, none at all. Because it's likely to stay on. Really backstopping that right at the end, huh? The CMA can and should change course during its phase two investigation and clear this competitively benign acquisition. And again, I agree with your conclusion. I agree with the setup that the CMA has made mistakes. You can see me on tape talking about that for almost seven hours. And yet this kind of article that passes so many salient details, that skips so many important parts of this conversation, I would argue does more harm than good because it is so easily dismissed as nothing but a lobbying firm otherwise lobbying for one of its own supporters. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy this kind of conversation about business and law, video game software, technology, and more, please do consider supporting the channel through our Utreon or our Patreon if that's what you're more familiar with. We cannot do it without support from viewers and listeners like you. If none of those seem appealing, hey, that's okay. Just subscribing, telling your friends, hitting the various buttons that YouTube likes you to hit to let them know that you care about this kind of content every little bit